It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Hello guys, um, welcome to the next episode of the Challenger Tour podcast and this is not exactly a happy welcome, this is going to be a pretty weird episode and um, most of you probably know this already, maybe some of you don't and uh, even if um, this is actually, even if you're all familiar with what happened since the last episode and apparently also sin- uh, before the previous episode came out, which was unbeknownst to me at the time, um, even if we still need to talk about um, someone who was very special to this show and to me um, for a few minutes, because uh, my co-host for the past two and a half years, someone who, if you've been listening to this fairly regularly, I mean, you definitely knew him, uh, Jakub Bobro, uh, he died apparently on the weekend, um, well, on the previous weekend, so before the last episode, which I recorded solo, was released, as you might remember, I did not mention uh, why Jakub was gone uh, from the previous episode. And this was mostly because I just didn't know. Uh, he stopped replying. He was not there on any social media. It wasn't really like him. Like maybe I would be less frightened or like maybe not frightened at first, but I would be less anxious if it was not um, around the weekend. So around the time when we had to plan our recording, because that would never happen Um, since we started doing the show together. So I think it was March, maybe April. I think it was March 2021. It never really happened that Jakub would just leave me hanging like this. So I I was already you know, sort of feeling that something might not be okay, but um, I still definitely was not ready to wake up on um, Wednesday morning, I think it was, and get a message from his father saying that Jakub is dead. Um, Honestly, I've spent, uh, I spent like half the day uh, just thinking whether it could be some sort of horrible prank, you know, whether maybe something could be wrong here, like whether maybe there was something that... um, I don't know, would explain this whole thing and suddenly it would turn out that it's not true. But obviously that was not the case. Um, I was even able to attend Jakub's funeral online. I didn't know that, you know, this is really an option, but his father suggested that um, if I want to, he can send me over the details. And um, I attended uh, the, the ceremony on Zoom. There was, you know, a camera and all. So unfortunately it is very real. Um, I don't really know that much in like regarding the details, you know, I don't want to ask the poor guy, um, Jakub's father, I mean, um, to go into details about how his son died. Um, I just know it was, you know, a tragic incident. He wasn't sick or anything. Um, obviously it's, it's not really, uh, show like the beginning of the show here. It's not something that I ever thought I was going to have to record, you know, um, even if personally, like I figured that maybe there would be a point where I would start doing the show on my own, because that's what I intend to do actually from, from now on. 
at least um, at least for the time being. And um, I thought that maybe you know at some point, since this is a project for like little money, uh, no recognition, actually no money, little recognition. And uh, I thought that maybe you know Jakub finds a time-consuming job or just I don't know has something better to do right at some point, and then he. Uh, pulls out of it because why would he really continue um that was sort of my way of thinking but when i suggested it to him in um you know in one of our talks he was like uh what the hell are you talking about like why would i what why would i ever leave <laughs> which uh, uh you know is it, just part of why jacob was just such a, a wonderful partner to to do this with uh, he didn't care about um you know, making money on this or something. Uh, he just had a lot of good fun, just as I did, recording this show. And um, he had a lot of passion for this sport and also for this sport at any level, which um, certainly is the key of what we're doing here, right? That uh, we're not talking about the stars of the game or like we maybe sometimes mention them briefly, but we are basically talking about a very niche topic that... Um, you know, only people who like really want to go deep into the sport uh, are uh, willing to hear about and are willing to talk about. You know, only a few people on the planet are, I think, competent enough to. Um, well, a few maybe is is a bit of a stretch, but let's say I don't know, fifty people on the planet would be competent enough to have a show like this, to be a regular co-host in a in a show like this. And Jakub was obviously one of them, as I as I hope you. Uh, heard on all of these shows and I'm sure you did uh, I don't even remember what I was talking about here but basically what I mean is um, I think I was extremely lucky to to have him here for two and a half years we met uh, once uh, in person and uh, it was honestly just as good as our interactions online I am a pretty awkward um, socially anxious guy you know so I was afraid to to meet him I was afraid to see if like you know we're still gonna we're still gonna get on well and um in in an in-person setting as well and we did that 100 percent. like it was just uh, you know we hit it off exactly like we did on the shows and um from the very first episode and it was actually kind of random that Jakub started collaborating with me to be honest with you he he I my my previous co-host who was only there for like 10 episodes had to go away instead of uh, because of personal reasons and Jakub and some other well some others sorry um Jan another listener um they messaged me saying that maybe they will be my co-hosts and I chose Jakub uh, frankly mostly because I knew he would speak good English because he st had studied in the in the states and uh I never regretted this decision, like not for a single moment, you know, um, it's not really something that you like stop and think about when the, the relationship is good and it was always good. So I never really thought about it, but there was not a moment where I thought um, to myself, you know, Jakub is not doing that well, or I don't know, maybe I should be doing this by myself. Like that there wasn't a moment like this. I had incredible fun doing this with him and uh, yeah, it, it seeing him live in Bratislava was great too we did some interviews together we spent four days at the tournament together um you know m most of most of the time just sitting together chatting watching the tennis um laughing a lot and um yeah I, I did consider him a, a pretty close personal friend even though we only met once in in person and um that's also not really something that I was ever thinking about 
um, I think a, a couple of uh, maybe months ago, I had this conversation with a friend of mine where we were uh, mentioning like, who are your friends? Like, you know, we are thinking, where is the difference between just, you know, people you know and you like and a, fr and a true friend? And um, I was uh, mentioning only the people that I knew in person. And now that I think about it, I definitely should have actually mentioned Jakub as well, you know. The new in person as in like, you know, they weren't online acquaintances because that's more or less, I mean, our uh, our relationship with Jakub was mostly 95% um, this show and like maybe some other tennis work, right? So I, I didn't really think of him when I had that conversation, but actually I, uh, you know, now, now that I think of it and potentially, you know, back then if I, if I just started on this sort of train of thought, I definitely would have come to this conclusion that he was actually a friend of mine as well and like a um you know a true friend that I was lucky to to have met and to have um collaborated with cooperated for two and a half years and um yeah it's it, it's gonna be pretty hard to um to record this episode not gonna lie uh it's good that I have had a few days already that helps me I think to keep my mind clear um well, as I said, I got to know about Jakub's death on Wednesday, Wednesday morning. It's already Sunday afternoon when I'm recording this. Uh, it's also so weird because I was actually at the Challenger this week, of course, in Kozerki in Poland. And it just felt very... Uh, I, I, I can't even describe it, but something about this, you know, the fact that I will have to... Because as you guys know, probably, I often promote the episodes where... Um, where we have interviews, where we have extra stuff from a tournament. And um, it just feels kind of weird that I will have to promote this episode. You know, maybe maybe I will actually skip it. Maybe I will actually not tweet about it. I don't know. Um, you know, I'll have to think about it. But first, I actually have to re need to record this. I need to send this over to the guys at Cracked Rockets. And then I guess I will I will think about whether I should be promoting this episode. But Honestly, I started the recording thinking that I should, but the more I think about it, the more I actually think that maybe I won't. Like, I, I don't want to fish for likes, you know, or something like this on Jakub's death, which obviously wouldn't really be that, but I just don't want it to look like this, you know. I don't want people to think that... I, I don't I don't know. This, this, is, this is very hard for sure. Um... I uh, thank you to um, a few listeners who have uh, messaged me since or, you know, the, the, the few of you that I also told in person because some of some of the most active listeners, I thought that they, um, you know, they, they needed to know it before the episode for sure. Um, and thanks for all the words of support, word, words of support towards me. Um, I've, I've said it in some other place already, but like, obviously we were just a part of Jakub's life. You know, tennis was just a part of Jakub's life. His family is definitely the one that the, the you know, the, uh, the group of people who have been hurt the most by the, by this absolutely tragic news. Um, but his father speaking actually to a friend of mine, he used this, um, wonderful phrase that, um, Jakub lived for tennis journalism podcasts. And I think um, this is sort of the way we, we knew him. This is the way we will remember him. And um, I think this is also why, even though when people usually say 
phrases like this, I feel like they are guessing. Uh, but many times when someone dies, you know, people say, um, I don't know, I'm going to do this because I know he would want it. And most of the time, I, th I think there's no actual justification for this. But also because of what his father said, um, you know, about how important tennis, the podcasts were in Jakub's life. And I think, uh, you know, knowing him, I also saw that. I think I can say with actual confidence with actual clarity that he would have wanted me to continue this show like he, he he wouldn't want me to stop doing this just because he is well out of the picture in the most drastic in the most tragic reason imaginable you know he was just 22 by the way which um, I think adds a whole new layer as well to the tragedy if uh, if you weren't aware of that right I mean Obviously, parents shouldn't be burying their kids. And at the same time, um, personally, like losing a friend that's close to my age, it's, it's something that has not happened to me yet. And it is a it is a new experience that um, I think eventually becomes pretty normal in life. It sucks that it becomes pretty normal. But, you know, the older you get, the more friends of your age are probably going to be sick, ill, are going to die. But when you're 24, as I am right now, it's still relatively fresh. I've had some people from my, I don't know, high school die or even junior high, but um, they weren't like very close friends of mine. So it was completely different. I basically didn't really care. Uh, you know, I, I let's say I, I, I could uh, feel compassion for their families, you know, for their friends, but to me, it didn't matter. And here it's a it's a very different thing. But again, I don't really want to make this about me. You know, it's um, it's uh, let's just make it about Jakub and that, that's all. And uh, one thing that I think um, I can do to like keep honoring him on this show uh, is going to be to focus a bit more on the players that he was often excited for. So the Slovak guys, you know. There were definitely episodes, especially when there was a Slovak challenger around, where Jakub would just tell us about the uh, Slovak Slovak juniors in the draws, right? Uh, or maybe, you know, the Grand Slam qualifying predictions when he was constantly picking Gombos, Kovalik, um, even Andrei Martin, you know, usually not too great. <laughs> you know, usually it wouldn't really give him great results. But it was part of the fun, right? It was just like, I you, I can pick, I don't know, Kacper Zhuk to win challenger titles, and he most often doesn't do that. Jakub was doing the same with his guys because, you know, he trusted them, he believed in them. And I think uh, we will, uh, in, on this show, continue to, like, uh, mention the Slovak players and Slovak tennis whenever it is possible, whenever there is a Slovak player in the draw, we will pay attention to him, you know, especially with these up-and-coming youngsters. If they show up on the Challenger Tour, like Miloš Karol, you know, Peter Benjamin Privara and the likes. Um, Bratislava Challenger, right, is coming up in, in October. Uh, so that will be a great opportunity as well. I think um, that would be cool if we just maybe keep um, mentioning and talking about the Slovak players that Jakub surely would have been excited for and surely would have told us some very good stories about them as well in, in many cases. So, um, yeah, I think that's the least we could do. Uh, and, uh, yeah, just 
honestly, um, it's probably the end of this 15 minute message. Uh, I am very, um, yeah, I am very disturbed by the fact that I even have to record this, but obviously it wouldn't be okay to just start the record the show and, uh, you know, start talking about the challengers. It, it's also going to be pretty weird to just get to the action now, but you know, but as I said, um, I am feeling pretty confident that Jakub would want me to continue this. Um, and yeah, let's just, you know, keep him in our thoughts. Let's just remember the guy for who he was. Um, lots of people, as I said, have reached out to me. Everyone had a nice thing or two to say about him, regardless of if they knew him well or just briefly. And um, yeah, I think that's great. I, I, I think that's something um, really touching to see how many people are impacted by um, were impacted by by Jakub's yeah just yeah on him just being one of the nicest guys around you know and um, and his passion for tennis obviously which uh, really was something special and um, it's a shame we'll never get to see where he would have ended up in life and you know whatever it was uh, I'm sure he would have been amazing at it and um, as I said, mostly I just feel um, after a few days from from getting this news, I I mostly just feel yeah extremely lucky that um, that I was able to work with him for for two and a half years and and have him as a friend for that time for that time as well. But anyway, uh, we need to get to the actual challenges, right? As I said, this is this is going to be a bit of a weird one. Maybe I should stop the recording right now and record it later. Um, maybe I'll do that. In fact, but I don't know. Um, let's just for now. Let's just get to the, get to business. You know, as 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 you um, guys probably heard at the beginning, I was in Kozerki at the Challenger 100. So this is actually where we're starting, despite the Stanford 125 being the bigger event. Uh, Kozerki was the second edition of this Challenger. I actually went for 12 days because at the beginning there was also a WTA 125 event, which for me it was like a preludium, obviously, to this um, better, more interesting event for me, the Challenger 100. Uh, I love this event, honestly. Uh, it's um, definitely one of the more low-key ones in Poland. Well, definitely more so than Szczecin in Poznań, so the ones we have right now. It's also because the the event is uh, like the venue is al almost in the middle of nowhere, I would say, <laughs> 40 minutes away from Warsaw around. And um, yeah, it's hard for people to come like um, on the final. The, the, the crowd was pretty big. There was also big crowds when um, on Tuesday, I think there was a national holiday. Well, not not a national. It's like a religious holiday in Poland. Yeah, but I guess you can call it national holiday. And um, then also a lot of people came. But otherwise, it's kind of tough. Uh, but this has its own um, benefits. Like, for example, the tournament champion, whom I, whom I, who I'm going, going to get to in a second, Jesper de Jong, uh, mentioned during the trophy ceremony that he basically didn't leave the whole venue for seven days because everything is there, you know? You have the hotel, you have the restaurant, you have the um, all the facilities, basically, you can need in one one small complex right so that's that's something that i really like and at the same time um also um there's a lot of freedom like in terms of where i can go i can easily access the outside courts you know in order to talk to players so that's something that i obviously um look at uh, when it, when it comes to 
judging, you know, which challenger um, I enjoy more. And Kozerki, honestly, uh, this week I was even thinking that this might be uh, slowly becoming uh, maybe even my favorite challenger in Poland, you know? It has, it really has a lot of merit to it, uh, even though it's not the most maybe prestigious like Szczecin is. Um, I, I love the, uh, as you guys probably know by now, I love the low-key atmosphere and at these at these events. Anyway, uh, Jesper de Jong, as I said, won the won his second challenger title. He actually uh, didn't have one this year, despite this being, I think, the best season of his career. And we chatted about that. So let's uh, let's maybe start with the interview. First of all, just wanted to ask you about the win today. You know, you were zero three down in the second set, yeah. double break. How did you manage to stay positive and turn it uh, Well, I didn't. Okay. Um, <laughs> but um, that's what's something I've been working on. Uh, quite not very happy that it happened again, mm-hmm. uh, but I won 6-4, so I did something very well. Uh, I, sta- I stayed in the match, I stayed in the set. Uh, yeah, was was lucky. Now, l- lucky, I was good that I won like the the break back directly, uh, so I could keep coming back. But I, from that point, I was I was good. I was I was positive. I was uh, I was better than. The, the situation I, I handled it before, so I'm happy that uh, I six for. You won your first challenger title two years ago, uh, but this season is kind of even better for you, right? Yeah, like with, yeah. the, with the very consistent results. Yeah, uh, last year was uh, kind of a letdown, uh, but I had some physical problems with uh, mono. I don't know mm-hmm. if you. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I couldn't compete. Yeah. I couldn't play like three matches in a week, um, which kind of up with my body I, I lost 10 kilos I was only 63 kilos um, and uh, yeah then you cannot compete and everything is yeah getting injured um, and this year I started working with my new coach uh, from September and from September till November was a little bit of the, the starting phase to get to get to know each other and from Tigre uh, beginning of the year it's all started to work out and be very good to do and why did you come here? Because there's a couple of challenges in the States, you know, or in yeah. States and Canada, so it would be easier for the US Open. But... Yeah, but you think so, but like it's California, uh-huh. it's like on the other side of the world, so you have to go to California and then California, New York, it's like the opposite side of the state. Um, and yeah, that's, that's quite an expensive flight and here it's pretty good. I've heard good stories about this tournament. Canada is pretty far away. Yeah. Uh, I was supposed to go to Barranquilla in yeah. Colombia. Uh, but I was cancelled, so we came here. Okay, thank you. No worries, no worries. Yeah, and uh, Jesper de Jong, as you could hear, uh, was also, you know, of the of the idea that um, that this was probably the best season of his career already after winning his second round against Charles Broom, because this is where um, this is where when we talked. I loved this little bit from him when um, I was asking him like, how did you manage to stay positive? Zero free double breakdown. And he says, I didn't, uh, you know, so so I, fu- I found this pretty funny. He also mentions working with a new coach since September 2022, uh, Jerome Bernard. Uh, he is a former pro himself. And uh, actually, uh, before this event, I chatted a few times with Jesper's coach on Twitter. And um, both him and Jesper actually follow me. So uh, when I got to um, talk to him, you know, he already knew who I was and um, it was it was very nice to meet both guys in person I also chatted to the coach after after Jesper won the title Um, yeah just a couple of really great guys and it was awesome to see their uh, relationship as well you know when when Jesper won the title and they 
um yeah he, he came to um to his coach and uh, they were like hugging you you could see that there's so much emotions in there and also how important this title must have been to to both of them you know uh, winning their well their second title together but even yes uh, during the ceremony De Jong um, said that it's his first real title because um, at the beginning of the year he won a 25k in Portugal but apparently he didn't feel like you know it was that important um, that's probably not him like uh, crapping on 25ks right it's it's probably just the fact that he well has ambitions to become a full-time challenger player at the very least and and um, that's that's why he probably considered this one like the real title. And he's actually 15 and one on hardcourts this year, which is pretty crazy. But um, yeah, that's the 25K title and this one now. And the only loss was to Goncalo Oliveira, who is also having an awesome year, obviously. And uh, yeah, when it comes to the young, um, this week was his first challenger final on hardcourt. And you wouldn't really tell it best, uh, like based on how he played. He was actually awesome and um, he never even lost a set. He needed just one tiebreak against Elias Imer. He was a lot more disciplined than Imer in this semi-final match, especially after winning the tiebreaker. And then against Hassan, it was a bit more of the same. Obviously, De Jong has this wonderful weapon in the forehand, especially inside out. He's also very quick, which is something that Max Kashnikowski, whom I, I am also going to talk about him later on, um, mentioned to, to me when we were talking about their match um, in Bundesliga f a month, a month uh, earlier. This time De Jong also beat him in the in Grodzisk, in, in Kozerki, in the quarterfinals. And um, more so though than, than about that, the final was also about, um, yeah, Jesper just playing really within himself and sort of allowing Hassan to... Uh, you know, to falter, to make the errors, because even when he was upping the pace sometimes on the forehand, it was actually a bit counterproductive, because Hassan knew, uh, like, Hassan then was able to just play on instinct, and his, um, I would say, his shot selection and, like, his nerves were getting to him a bit in the final, and that's why it was actually easier for him when it was Jesper dictating. But anyway, uh, a fantastic run for uh, the Dutchman, he actually breaks the top 150, so this is huge. And yeah, let's see how he does at the US Open qualifying. Interesting bit as well in the interview about um, Stanford actually not being that great of a warm-up for uh, US Open qualifying, according to him, at least compared to Kozerki, because it's still an expensive flight and it's on the other side of the, of the country. I didn't wasn't really thinking about it uh, like this. Uh, he also said that he was actually supposed to play Barranquilla this week, but this event was cancelled, so that's why he came to Kozerki. Obviously, not a decision that he will regret. And let's talk about Benjamin Hassan, who was the um, finalist. He It was his second Challenger final. He made one in Troyes, 2022, where he lost to Juan Bautista Torres. And uh, Hassan is, is also a pretty interesting beast, because like this year, it's it's been a fantastic season for him. Uh, maybe a little quieter until this run because it was four semifinals at the challenger level and no finals. I actually never realized that he has four challenger fi semifinals, you know. Uh, but yeah, let's let's get to the interview with him. This one I actually did with a friend of mine, so I will have to cut him out or maybe I will ask him if uh, if I need to. But anyway, uh, you're probably going to see uh, hear just my question and then some uh, answers from Hassan without questions. But it should be, you know, it should be fine. So let's just do the interview here. 
So uh, yesterday you saved two match points against Vesali and if I counted right, I think you've already done it four times this year. Also, of course, that's 12 match points against Midler last year. <laughs> How do you keep doing this and, you know, do you have any special approach to, to these match points? No, you can just fight and believe, but uh, this, these kind of situations always depends on luck. So, mm -hmm. of course, I saved a lot of match points also against Midler last year, but uh, yeah, it's just luck. If he hits one net point, it's over. So, but uh, I'm still in the match, I'm still trying to play, I'm still focused, I'm still fighting and I'm not giving up. So that's probably the key, <laughs> but it doesn't work out every time. So this is my main goal since uh, two years already, to play uh, qualities of a Grand Slam. I was close, I think now for US Open, uh, I'm 244 and the cut will probably be 230, so 10-14 spots away. But I have a good chance for Australian Open, that's what I'm fighting for, yes. Mm, I would say the serve. The serve. Yeah, this is also what I noticed yesterday and today. These guys, they are all two meters, they are <laughs> serving so good. And I'm not so tall, so uh, I need to improve to my serve to, um, yeah, to hold my service game. Because my return is very good, I can break some people. But uh, yeah, I need to improve myself. No, no, we have some support, but now the situation in Lebanon is really tough. Uh, financial crisis and everything. So I think the people there are just trying to survive and uh, yeah, I mean I don't know how it is yet because I live in Germany and I play Davis Cup for Lebanon but um, yeah we have, we have some fans but it could be more but I think because of the situation now, the political situation, uh, the people have something, something other in mind than tennis and that's, no, that's completely okay. Um, yes, and this was after he beat Marius Kopil in the quarterfinals. As you can uh, hear, we talked about his match point saving abilities, which are just insane. You know, the guy saved match points on four occasions this um, this year already, and obviously had that 12 match point save against um, Lukas Midler last year, which was a huge story. You know, it was it was a very uh, it was very popular on Twitter when I posted the video of uh, of the 12 match points saved, obviously unbelievable stuff. But as you could hear him say, um, he doesn't really have any special approach and thinks it's there's also a lot of luck involved, which you have to agree uh, with. But I think he, he has this ability to like go into lockdown mode and um, basically won't miss if he's like not forced to, right? Uh, when it comes to the crunch, he has this ability to just limit his unforced errors to a point where they just don't appear at all and that's what he did against Vesely you know extending the match by 90 minutes and it was also on return that he saved this, these match points so it was so impressive and um, he mentioned also in the in this interview that uh, he is constantly playing big servers this week this was because he played Kopil, Vesely and Pavelski uh, but then he played the FCF and the Young, so like maybe not as much. And his serve was actually really good in the in the semis and the final. In the final, basically the only points that Hassan like other than the ones that I mentioned, where Jesper was like really upping the pace, uh, Hassan the only points that he actually um, like looked very clear on. Uh, looked like he know he knew what he was doing. The the only points like this were three points on serve, serve plus ones, and like yeah, just short rallies behind his serve. And yeah, his serve actually looked pretty insane. And um, especially in the semis against CFCF, there were moments when he moments when he was just flying all over the court. You know, that um, forehand down the line to break for one zero in the second set. Like you could just see the confidence oozing out of him. And uh, this is so important for him ranking-wise, because as you could hear, he is um, his main goal has been to make Grand Slam qualities. He probably won't make New York. He is currently, I will have to tell you, but um, 
you know, I don't know if he even tries to go there because he was supposed to play in Augsburg. So I think he, he's probably just not going to go to New York anyway. But he is currently on the uh, alternate list for US... Oh, he actually has pulled himself out of uh, the US Open qualifying list. So that clearly tells you that he... Um, that he isn't willing to risk it and go to New York, but he would have been like, what right now? Maybe third or fourth, I think. So yeah, he actually would have been pretty close. Um, yeah, maybe like fourth or fifth. He actually would have been pretty close to make um, US Open qualifying, but it looks like he should be able to do it in Melbourne quite easily especially with the 60 points right now and breaking the top 200 for the first time. Also the first Lebanese player to do that, which is always a nice um, fun fact, I think. And uh, yeah, um, definitely a lot more watchable uh, for me since this week, ben Benjamin Hassan, because sometimes his game on stream can look a little bit like it doesn't really have the identity, you know, like it doesn't, yeah, like it's just pretty bland. And um, I think watching tennis live and also like talking to these people can often really help you with that. And like, you know, seeing some new dimensions to their tennis and to them as, as people as well. Uh, yeah, and let's talk about the semifinalists as well. Denis Yevsiev, by the way, smokes a lot, which is uh, quite interesting that you can be a professional player and such a good professional player too and uh, still be a smoker. Obviously, David Ferrer was the prime example of that. And the FCF wasn't exactly like trying to hide it either. He started from the qualifying and almost lost to Alexander Brynin uh, in, uh, uh, in the first qualifying round. Brynin then started uh, watching all his matches that week, which was pretty interesting as well. Like he, he would come to every match of FCF, um, I guess still staying at the venue and probably practicing. And then he actually made it to the semis by beating Tomasz Mahac in the second round. Let's maybe start with the interview here. By the way, Yevsev um, was one of the guys I was kind of afraid to talk to because he just has like this, you know, a bit of a crazy attitude on the court sometimes and I wasn't sure what, what I would get. But as you will hear, he was actually super nice and he started talking about like some completely other things that I... Uh, even asked about him about, uh, but um, that's good, right? I mean, I, I like when a player is not, not too brief and yeah, just allows himself to, to talk about whatever he wants at some point, really. So yeah, let's uh, let's get to that. Daniel, by your reaction, I think this one meant a lot to you, right? It was a difficult match, especially like with this guy when he started uh, to scream every point, mm -hmm. you know, like it's kind of awkward and... Uh, not uh, get used to it like in sport is unrespectful for me and uh, I don't like those kind of attitude on the court and uh, from that way I started to get a bit angry at him then I calmed down and uh, it went straight to my way you know like, and I started to win like from the first set and then uh, I lost in the second uh, a bit of uh, concentration he broke me, and then uh, in the third set I was leading 4-1. Didn't expect that uh, he able to come back. You know, like I was uh, not doing great on my serve, but uh, by the end it was pretty close match. Like he, one or two points didn't make the difference, and uh, I'm pretty happy that I won. 
few weeks ago we also clinched their first challenger title in um, Astana and um, you know how was that milestone for you as well and especially losing in the final the, the year before of the very same event I mean uh, you just come to your country and you feel uh, more relaxed because everybody supports you and uh, I'm really happy that I won my first challenger in uh, my country you know? so it's special for me so I'm really happy with that but uh, last year I was also leading like against Safiulin in the final and everything was alright uh, I was 4-2 up and then uh, suddenly he started to playing unreal and uh, there was some luck but I lost on six and third. It's tennis, you know, like uh, today you win, tomorrow you lose. It's nothing special, but uh, next year I was uh, pretty in good condition. I was trying uh, to be calm with my thoughts, uh, taking more time, and then uh, suddenly I did uh, what I have to do, you know, like, and uh, I'm pretty happy with that. And uh, then I went to Portugal and it was uh, also a pretty good week, but I was also leading against Julie Marie. But I was a bit tired after like changing uh, time uh, difference and uh, also different continents, you know, like, and it was mm -hmm. kind of difficult to adapt. I wasn't sleeping good. So, as I said, uh, it's tennis and uh, everybody adapts uh, the same condition. So. I'm pretty happy that I won today and uh, I'll keep going. And lastly, you beat Tomasz Mahat yesterday, which like according to the rankings was your best ever win. Do you also treat it like this, personally? No, uh, I was beating the guys like, who was like, 120, 130. Yeah, 136 I think was your previous uh, record. Yeah, it, it's just... Uh, they're pretty much the same level, mm -hmm. it's just... Uh, uh, I can tell you that... Uh, most of the people they're playing uh, consistent and uh, that's why they have ranking it's not about uh, what's your ranking right now like they will continue showing the same level in, uh, every week by week and uh, some of them you know like, they can win crazy match and then uh, next match they're losing like easy because mentally they're not ready and that's why it's like somebody is 400 and somebody is 100 but level is pretty equal Alright, thank you. I appreciate it. Yeah, and the win against Thomas Mahaj, as maybe you heard in the interview, was his high was his best in terms of the rankings ever. Which um as you can hear he wasn't overly excited by this. Like he basically talked about, you know, the rankings not really being that relevant because it's mostly about consistency. And he played a great match against Mahaj, you know. You you can dislike EFCAF because he's very likely a match fixer. Unfortunately, that's probably true. And um, well, he is definitely one of these one of these players that people are very very suspicious of. But no one can also deny that um, he can play. Like he is a very smart counter puncher, I would say, when he's focused because he definitely loses his um, you know motivation, loses his intensity a lot. And he played a fantastic match to beat Mahaj in the second round. Maxine Janvier was his quarterfinal opponent. There was, uh, well, that was actually uh, when the interview was made, and you could maybe hear um, him talking about uh, Janvier being like a little disrespectful with how he was screaming after every point. So there was a lot of tension. And um, eventually, Yevseyev played the semis against Hassan. He was outplayed there. He also was struggling with something in the second set. 
but still a phenomenal run and um, I, I am glad that he is finally like playing more consistent more consistently at like what his peak abilities are right because um, yeah I think for a while we've talked about this guy just being a lot better than you know being ranked 400 in the wor- in the world or something I think similarly to Hassan uh, he should be like able to at least one time appear in Grandstand qualifying. Obviously, Hassan, with how he has been doing recently, it looks like he might actually appear in Grandstand qualifying a lot more than than it seems. And the other semi-finalist was Elias Immer. He um, beat David Poliak, Jules Marie and Katsper Zhuk to make the semis where he lost to De Jong. And uh, I tried to get you an interview with him and I actually talked to him, but honestly, I don't think I'm going to include it because I just don't think it's too interesting. Elias was, to be honest, I, I, I can't say that he was unpleasant, but he was very brief in his answers. And like, if I, if I want to cut something out of this, it will be like 35 seconds of really uninteresting, uninspiring talk. So... Yeah, I, I'm not even going to include it, I think. But obviously, Arias Imer um, is a bit of a mess mentally on the court often. And you couldn't really see it this week. But there's certainly like a big um, lapse of concentration coming up every few games. And sometimes you see him with a very clear plan, you know, a very clear idea of what he should be doing on the court. And then he's just sort of out there and doesn't really know what he's even attempting to do and that was the second set in the semis against uh, Jesper de Jong Um, quite frankly you know Elias Simer is obviously a very talented player and quite a good ball striker so probably if if this wasn't the case he would have been in the top 100 long time ago but of course he is as of right now still hasn't been uh, featured among the world's best 100 his career high is 105 and you know, maybe this run is is the beginning of something. Actually, this year he only really had um, one quarterfinal before that, I think, in Salzburg. But at the same time, he has been focusing on main tour qualities a lot. Uh, you know, it hasn't been all challengers. So, yeah, he's often playing higher level events, actually. Uh, but we also have to talk about some quarter finalists, and we also have to talk about um, the other players that I talked to. And these interviews, I think, are, are even though the players did not go that deep, I think they are all worth including uh, in this one. So let's maybe kick off with actually the the quarter finalists because we had a couple of polls in the quarter finals. I was already sort of dreaming about the all Polish semi-final, not gonna lie. And uh, from what I could gather, this would have been the second all Polish semi-final after Przysiężny played Kapas in, um, what was it, somewhere in Japan one year. Uh, but of course it never uh, came, it, it actually never happened. But still, I am I am very glad that the guys had this run, Kac- uh, had these runs. Kacper Zhuk, uh, he was out with an injury after Poznań, so late June and then sort of took this very interesting um, comeback path where he played um, some matches in the Polish league and in the Bundesliga also in the Swiss league 
and that's how he sort of got himself back back into match rhythm and honestly it worked pretty well you know he beat Santian in the opening round which um he wasn't too proud with uh, about the style of this performance but I actually thought he was doing extremely well you know he has such great timing of the ground sometimes and it's just so hard to match that uh when when he has a good day I think and then he beat Viktor Durasovic in a very tight clash, you know, some very ballsy servant volleying at 5-all in the third. Then Durasovic just came up with four straight errors to lose it, which happens to him quite a lot. You know, both Durasovic and Zhuk are so much better than their ranking. Santian as well, and we'll get to him in a moment. And then Zhuk just had a bit of a weaker day against Elias Imer. Um this was of the two quarterfinals this was still the one where a pole had the better chance to win than in the second one which we're going to talk about in in a moment but um yeah i'm glad that casper that casper had this sort of a run because this is actually his first challenger quarterfinal of the year which is just a gross understatement of his abilities i think and obviously there was a moment around like march uh when he had a lot of uh, a few second rounds in a row and he was just constantly losing close matches, like 4-0 against Sachko in the deciding set, he lost that. 6-3 in the third set tiebreak against Gombos, he, lo- he loses that. So it, it was kind of wild, but um, I hope that he's gonna, yeah, just have a fresh start here, you know, in, in Kozerki, because I think this is a guy who should be playing Grand Sum qualifying every single time. And I, I cannot understand why he's not, why he's currently... 341 before this week in the ATP rankings and obviously um, you know that's just the sort of results that he's been getting this year and Max Kashnikovsky the other player I don't think uh, quite as much quite as high of a ceiling but we were all I think so hopeful about him when uh, in 2022 he had that Canada run but then he never really followed it up you know he was never really serving like this again he was never really that aggressive again Maybe some of that was because of the injury that made him start the season a bit later. But then, you know, at the challenger level, it just hasn't been working out for him at all. He won a round in uh, Poznań, then he won two rounds in Modena, but it still didn't feel like he actually made that much progress. And this event, it's gonna leave... I think he's gonna leave it with a bit of mixed feelings. Stefanos Sakharidis just wasn't close to his level at all. But that match against Gojovczyk in the second round, up until 4-1 in the second set, this was the first time the Canada serve came back. Um, Max was also talking about this when we, you know, when we interviewed him after the match, where he said that, um, yeah, up until 4-1, he was just um, serving extremely well and uh, having a high first serve percentage. And against someone like Gojovczyk, it was just so key because just, you know it kept it kept him at bay basically. And then he just has an awful showing in the quarters against De Jong, where Jesper is unplayable, but at the same time Max just never gets going, you know? So so definitely leaving with some mixed feelings, but the quarters is still nice. It's uh, around better than what he did in Kozerki in 2022. And Max also really needed that, I think. That was his second challenger quarterfinal of the season, by the way, or after Modena, which I already mentioned. And now uh, to the three players that we also have interviews with. Let's start with Thomas Mahach, who was the top seed. I talked to him after he won his opening round match, obviously thinking that Mahach was probably going to go deep in the event. But I think the uh, the interview is still interesting enough for, for us to include it, even though he didn't. So let's let's actually start with it. 
yes, it's very hot, obviously, today. So I think uh, a win in under an hour must be like an ideal start to your title defense. Yeah, it's uh, looking good at the moment. I like this tournament uh, so far, so good. It's pretty nice event here in Kozerki, uh, in Grodzik. So uh, the surface is nice. The weather was uh, today really tough, but hopefully it will be go a little bit down. But uh, the match was pretty good from the beginning until the end. After you won last year, you still went to New York and qualified. So I take it you're not worried about the possibility of like being jet lagged once you get to. Uh, it was it was toughest. Uh, it was tough mm -hmm. uh, last year, but uh, it's possible as I as I did it last year. So I'm looking forward to play as many mes matches as possible here, and we will see. I'm focusing every day on every point, so we will see. You're still like seventh on the alternate list for US Open main draw. Is it a position where you're still hopeful, or uh, I'm, I'm counting with the with the qualities for sure? I don't okay. know if something happened, but uh, for me, I, I play qualities for sure. I, I don't know. I would I will not check it. And if they call me the time in the major, it will be uh, I don't know Christmas for me. <laughs> and also, um, over the last month, you had some injury issues. You retired in both Yassi and Diberets. Is it like behind you right now? Yeah, it's behind me. Uh, so uh, I recovered uh, very well, but uh, it uh, it took uh, some time. But it wasn't something uh, dangerous. Mm -hmm. It would be if I would play uh, more matches with that. But uh, I recover it very well, so. I'm uh, super happy with, with my performance today. Thank you and congrats. Thank you. Uh, yeah, and uh, Mahaj, we also had him on the show in uh, Kozerki in 2022. I think he was the only repeat, uh, I always say repeat offender, which used to make Jakub laugh a lot. Um, and um, yeah, I think he was the, the, only, sec the only repeat offender. Uh, if if you want to call it that. And he uh, crushed Filip Pelivo, but then lost to FCF, as I mentioned. Uh, I don't know if there is really more to add, you know. People are probably going to say that it was a tank, but I don't really think so. As you could hear on the, on the interview, he was, um, well, pretty hopeful of doing what he did in 2022 again. So winning Kozerki and qualifying for the US Open, especially now that the event actually ended on Saturday, not on Sunday. And also, like, if he wanted to tank this, then why even bother to come? Like, just play Winnipeg or Stanford, right? So, yeah, I don't think he... I don't think he had an intention of tanking this much at all. And uh, let's get to another second rounder from Czech... Uh, from the Czech Republic, actually. And it's gonna be Iri Veseli. Um, this is also, like, along with Yevsev, one of the guys that I was kind of scared to talk to. And... Uh, it ended up being that it's it was absolutely wrong because Vesely is is a very kind person. As you can hear, uh, he is going to talk for like a minute and a half on one question, which uh, I guess he just had a lot of thoughts on. And I think they're very interesting. Um, I was kind of struggling, um, you know, when I was thinking about how to phrase this in order not to be like disrespectful. But um, yeah, let's just let's just hear the interview now. Yeah, so straight sets, but I think it must have been very exhausting anyway, right? With the heat and also with the long deuces, uh, deuce games in, uh, on his serve in the second set. Yeah, definitely a tough, tough match. Uh, I was surprised with the level of his game. Uh, he was ground stroking pretty, pretty clean and uh, you know, playing quite aggressive. So it wasn't easy. The balls are quite, uh, quite flat, uh, not flying too much. So of course, quite long rallies as well. And I mean, we can see it on the time of the of the match, 2 hours 20 for two sets is usually, uh, I mean, it's very rare, so uh, very happy to be through. Of course, a very exhausting match, but like, uh, very happy with the, with the win. 
Um, there are a lot of tennis fans who don't really follow the challenger level, and then they probably saw you this year, you know, pushing Tsitsipas, beating Korda. Why do you think it's been challenging to bring this level, like, week in, week in, week out on the challenger circuit? Well, of course, everybody's hungry. Uh, everybody wants to be in the in the top 100, playing the ATP event, uh, you know. Uh, for me, of course, coming back after an injury is uh, it's never easy, you know where your level was uh, before or during the whole career and then of course suddenly dropping dropping very low in the ranking playing qualities and challengers is uh, is very hard also for uh, to find the motivation but uh, you know I know that's that's the only way I, I have to push it I have to I have to make it through somehow I mean I think today was a great example that you know you just have to make it somehow no matter how uh, and I think that's something that really increases the standard level and uh, you know pushes me forward and of course playing against the best guys Tsitsipas, Korda I mean uh, I think everybody knows that I'm able to play with these guys uh, I've proven it in the in the past and uh, I love it I love to play in the front of big crowds uh, I love playing big matches and but of course right now there's not, not the position to be really uh, playing the big events so of course I'm going to use my protected ranking for get the grand slams a few ATP events, but uh, you know, overall, I have to really make it through the challenges again. Thank you. Congrats. And of course, I was referring uh, to the second question here when I was saying that, like, I, I wasn't sure how to phrase it because um, sometimes I think I, I know a few players would say that it's disrespectful uh, because I don't know, like, you basically, I basically said that he is not playing at a level that he was um, at Wimbledon or the French Open. Uh, maybe I just have trauma because of my failed Thiago Sabofield interview from Kozerki last year, and that's why I was afraid. But anyway, of course, Vesely took it very nicely, and um, yeah, I'm very thankful for him. Uh, very thankful to him for that. I think this is an event where he really could have gone super deep, but of course, we're never gonna see that because he had that six four six five. 40-15 on serve against Hassan and lost the match. Also double faulted on the on Hassan's match point uh, in the third set tiebreak. So, uh, but it, it's still an improvement, right? Winning three matches in one event for Iji Vesely is still a new thing in 2023. And who knows? Maybe it will allow him to start um, getting these wins uh, more like consistently week in week out, as we as as I, I said in my question. And uh, the last guy that we're going to talk about from the singles is Akira Santian. Um, I know a few uh, listeners of the show, especially our, well, our, uh, my Irish friend is um, is a big fan of the uh, Australian. So actually, I just wanted mostly to talk to him because, well, he has this crazy personality, right, on the court. Uh, well, I, I just wanted to see, like, what he thinks about that and wanted to see how he would uh, be... Uh, you know, when it comes to the interview, and uh, I think he was he was really nice. Um, I liked the fact that when he, uh, like when when I told him thank you and uh, you know congratulated him on the win at the at the end, he said always, as sort of you know, implying that you know people interviewers the journalists can 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 come up to him after the matches and you know he's always uh, ready and willing to talk, which is which is very nice, I think. And uh, yeah, let's uh, let's maybe have the interview here. So you were set in a breakdown. How did yeah. you pull off the comeback? And was it also tougher because of the extreme weather conditions today? Like it's being very hot. Oh, actually, it's one of the reasons why <laughs> I um, didn't really give up because 
the opponent looked a little bit tired also and I think I'm a bit fitter than him so I just made a decision to just make every ball and make him earn it. Um, you had a couple of excellent results this year with the Challenger, uh, Challenger quarterfinals in Helbron and Prague, but like, your ranking hasn't really reflected that yet. What's the toughest thing about having to grind through Challenger qualifying like pretty much every week? It's not tough if you like it. Sometimes it is, okay. but I enjoy it. Even if I look like I'm having a bad time, I like to be out there. You know, I think it's better than playing futures, so... But, uh, yeah, I mean, the ranking's not going up because I've just been defending everything from the first half of last year. And then I've defended everything now, so hopefully I can start making points from now. And as you sort of hinted at, you often express your frustration on the court. Do you think, like, being calmer would be helpful for you? Or are you actually one of these players who, like, needs to get these emotions out to play well? Yeah, look, obviously... I don't believe that I play well when I'm angry all the time, but on occasions I feel like I do need to let it out. And sometimes if it's a bit tight, yeah, I mean, it can get a little bit bad, but, you know, I'm trying to work on that and uh, trying to stay in the present when I'm playing tennis. It's the most difficult thing to do for me. I'm always thinking about the future or the past in the matches, so. But yeah, I just got to work on it one by one, I guess. Thank you, man. Congrats on the win. Thanks. Yeah, and watching Santian live was certainly quite an experience, I would say. Uh, the the biggest thing probably was that um, whatever the score was, and especially against Jakub Krawczyk, you know, in the first qualifying round, especially against Jakub Krawczyk there, um, it just felt like he has to win this match, you know? He is just so much better. Krawczyk is just not ready for this. If he's ev- ever going to be ready, you know, he is 18, he got the wild card because he plays for the club that hosts this event and he's not like one of Poland's biggest prospects so it was clear that Santian was winning but he was still so frustrated whenever something didn't go his way right so so I thought that was pretty funny and uh, definitely an experience that I would recommend to check out an Akira Santian match live I don't think I was able to do that before this event I think that was probably the first time I watched Akira Santian live could be wrong on that but I think that's probably true yeah just just briefly looking at when at when he's played in the past five years I don't think I had ever seen Akira Santian live and um, yeah also when it comes to the other polls not Zhuk nor not Kashnikovsky not much to write home home about honestly uh, on the last episode I talked about the first qualifying round so I mentioned Pietronka and Kamrowski having great showings as I said, Palivo was just destroyed by Mahaj. Pavelski was a big disappointment against Hassan. Uh, 10 double faults. Uh, it seemed like he might be still struggling with a wrist issue. And um, the other uh, player was, of course, Tomasz Berketa, one of the best juniors in the world. I still feel like he has like insane top uh, you know, pro potential. But, of course, FCF was just a little too strong for him right now. Um, well, maybe not too strong, but like Berketa just doesn't have the consistency of um, that that is required at this level yet, you know. He has that huge serve, he has that huge forehand, but it's, uh, yeah, just way too wild to, to beat guys like this, especially FCAF who just sort of came out and um, I think he was just so certain that he was going to beat him because he's, you know, he's a junior, he's going to be wild. I think some players are like this, where if they come out with, like, the absolute 
belief that they're going to win, it's going to be very hard to stop them. And I think he was he was one of these players here, Dennis FCF, I think. And with that, we can get to the doubles, which were won by Theo Aribaj and Lucas Sanchez. Very interesting situation where they played Chandrasekhar and Prasanth in the final. And both Sanchez and Prasanth were actually looking for their top 100 debuts. So one of them was going to get it, one of them wasn't. So um, Aribaj and Sanchez, sixth final of the season, three titles. Um, honestly, I wasn't that, that invested in the doubles draw here, mostly because my favorite pairings went out early like Behar Pavlashek in the quarters that I definitely wanted to see them. Sharan Zelenai, you know, it's always a great story with Zelenai going for this challenger record, right, of, of challenger doubles titles, but they lost in the semis. And um, yeah, it, it, it just never really grabbed my attention, to be honest with you. The, all the Poles lost in the opening round too. Kopil played with Valkov. Obviously, Valkov is a Pole, not, not Kopil. And there were also two all-Polish pairings with Kashnikovsky kielan losing to Sharan Zelenai. This wasn't a bad match. And uh, Kubot Zhuk losing to Broom Whitehouse and it was just sad to see how Kubot was just so static, you know. I think he's still recovering from an injury because, uh, yeah, serving at 165 kilometers an hour, I think that's about 100 miles. A first serve, that's just not going to cut it at this level. And they never had a shot at holding Wukash's serve. And um, yeah, I think for Broom and Whitehouse, it must have been a very weird experience too, because they're playing the former world doubles number one, right? And then they get out onto the court and the guy is absolutely awful. It was, it was sad to see. I think if, if he really wants to make this comeback serious, and I know he wants to, but maybe this match will change his mind. I don't know. Kubot, um, yeah, just needs to get it back in shape first because if he's not able to serve better, if he's not able to move properly, like with enough explosiveness, with enough, yeah, just just being in, in dynamic enough, I don't think it's going to be, um, yeah, I just don't think it's going to work out for him. Let's get to the Stanford Challenger 125, which uh, finished like late at night on uh, on well, still Saturday, of course, in California, but it was Sunday for me. Um, it was the only 125 that we had this week. Constant Lestien, Emilio Nava, that was the final. And Constant Lestien, that's a completely crazy story, right? He was 10 and 21 coming into this week uh, in 2023. He was like struggling hugely since February and then he suddenly comes into Stanford, saves se seven match points against Dane Sweeney in the first round, which was uh, just an unbelievable showing, you know um, instant match of the week candidate, then he actually crashed Kozbinov and Goyo, Goyo 6262, that was quite impressive like how he just worked his way around the crowd, you know, around his power and then got a walkover from Watanuki in the semis and eventually played Emilio Nava in the final. You know, Nava started better. He was like 3-1 up, uh, but Lestien stopped that early run of games and then again, like, pl just played his smart counter-punching tennis, you know, and Nava imploded completely. Uh, so a very unexpected run from Lestien, but it kind of saves his season, obviously, with 10-21, with that was just, um, yeah nowhere near good enough to, to keep himself at the main tour level at the end of the year, but right now he actually might have a shot at that. And um, Emilio Nava, as I said, was the finalist. This was actually his second, uh, sorry, his first uh, challenger final on hard courts, which is kind of counterintuitive, right? But he is amazing on clay, especially whenever it's faster, like in Modena or 
what was the first event he won? Shimkent, right? The altitude um, venue in, Kaz in Kazakhstan. And Nava started from the qualifying in Stanford since the field was really strong, crushed his first two opponents, then also did that to Queen. He beat Kovacevic in a blockbuster quarterfinal and then against Tristan Boyer in the semis. He just had an incredible comeback. 2-6, 2-5 down. It seemed like Boyer must be winning this, but he actually didn't. And Emilio Nava went to the semi to the semis, but what happened there? Um, I can I mean, I already told you. And this is, I think, the first year since 2021 where Nava does not get an, a U.S. Open major wildcard, so he actually has to play qualifying. Tristan Boyer, as I said, was the uh, semi-finalist. Obviously, he was one of the main actors for us during the green clay. Um, no, I mean, not green clay, but like, yeah, Ron Garros wildcard challenge, staying in it almost until the end and having a shot um, if he won the final against Diaz Acosta in Savannah. Obviously, he didn't. Since then, his results had not been great, but he actually found some incredible form in Stanford, also qualifying. He's a local guy as well. He went to college in Stanford, although from what I could gather, not for a full, um, like not for his full eligibility, just for a moment, uh, like a year or two. And then uh, he is actually from California as well. So I think he got a lot of crowd support because of that. Uh, he played Clan, Shimabukuro, Mo. These were really great wins. And then, yeah, just had this choke against Emilio Nava that kind of leaves him with uh, a sour taste regarding this week. But obviously a semi-final of a challenger 125 is still huge for the guy. And Yosuke Watanuki, as I mentioned, was the other semi-finalist. He beat Steve Johnson in this fantastic first round clash that I was mentioning a lot on the last episode when it came to the previews, then beat Moreno Dalboran and James Duckworth. He just absolutely crushed Duckworth and it was so surprising to see him withdraw from the semis, but apparently he actually has like a serious issue that he will be trying to heal before the US Open. Um, hopefully he's going to do that because yeah, just the form that he showed on the way to the semis, it made you believe that Watanuki was probably the one who's, who was going to win this event. And eventually, of course, that didn't work out. And when it comes to the um, doubles uh, champions, there was a very high-profile final between the Diego Hidalgo and um, Christian Rodriguez, who beat uh, Julian Cash and Henry Patten. Cash and Patten coming back after two months of inactivity, uh, which was mostly uh, just forced by one of the guys' injury. Uh, one of the guys having an injury, right? But um, yeah, anyway, uh, that was, that was I think, a very enjoyable final. Uh, way more than in Kozerki, where, as I said, the event uh, didn't really grasp my, um, yeah, didn't really grab my attention that much. And uh, there were also two, ones, uh, two Challenger 75s, uh, one of them in Winnipeg. Let's start with that one, since we are in the uh, nor in North America just a second ago. And Ryan Penniston won that one over Landro Riedi. Uh, very unexpected, I think. Uh, also a pretty terrible season for Ryan for the most part. At the beginning of the year, he had a couple of semis, but then, uh, yeah, then just wasn't winning matches at all. But he did get something going in carry, making the quarters. And here he just absolutely crushed his first three opponents. Obviously, they were pretty weak. Uh, you know, Christian Harrison, Darian King, Taha Badi. But uh, he then also beat Artur Cazo and Randor Yedi. So the two very talented up-and-comers. Uh, both matches, I think, were uh, really error-heavy. Especially against Cazo, it was the wind. Against Riedi, it was... Uh, or Riedi, uh, it was just his... Um, 
yeah, just, just his erratic, you know, hyper-aggressive playstyle. But Peniston obviously tried to control the points with his lefty uh, spins, and yeah, he, he did that very effectively and got himself his third, uh, first challenger title. Uh, before that, he had three finals, and all of them on clay, so that was actually the first time he made one on hardcourts. Could he be a guy who potentially wins or makes the final of a challenger on all three surfaces? Maybe, you know, we've seen him do great things on uh, grass, on the main tour, though, on, on the, the challengers, not necessarily, but maybe, maybe it's possible. Leandro Ridi, as I said, uh, he made the final. Good stuff, finally. Um, I remember picking him to win Kerry. Obviously, that was not even close to panning out. But uh, here he uh, he was actually, um, you know, just off to a very good start against David Goffin in the first round, despite the extremely tough draw. Then got a walkover from Mayo, but he also beat Mattia Bellucci and Liam Brody, so a couple of left-handers in a row. You'd think that would help him against Peniston, but uh, he started the final very poorly and uh, then also had a rough game at 4-all in the third. Uh, a bit of a missed chance, I think, if you're looking at it from, from his perspective, especially as, you know, between March and, like, July, August, he was mostly injured, so... Um, yeah, he really needs all the points he can get. Artur Cazo, the semis, um, I think he was my pick for the title. And after he beat Jack Draper in the quarters, obviously a huge match, you know, a, a, fun, a couple of fantastic names at this level. Um, I thought that he was probably going to win the title. And obviously he did not. He went down 7-5 in the third to Ryan Peniston. Uh, so that's uh, that's it in the semis, and as I said, the match was very windy, there were a lot of errors all over the place, uh, so it was a bit of a chaotic mess. Still a decent result for Kazo, but I think he will also consider this a bit of a missed chance, missed opportunity. Anyway, uh, Liam Brody was the other semi-finalist, and he made another semi, back-to-back -back semis in Kerry and Winnipeg. He was crushed by Leandro Ridi, but you know, he did what he needed to do, he made the semis, he is very much in contention to finish the year in the top 100. Uh, he would have been there already if he won the title. Uh, but obviously that didn't happen, but yeah. There was a chance uh, for Brody here, but you know, he's still live in the top 100 of the ATP race. So he is very much on track. He just sort of needs to keep making these semifinals, basically, uh, is what I, what I think he needs to be doing. Uh, and Toddy, uh, oh, actually, sorry. Uh, one more thing, obviously we need to talk about the doubles uh, in uh, Winnipeg, which were won by this very interesting pairing of Gabriel Diallo and Leandro Ridi. So Ridi uh, almost uh, went for the double there. They had a pretty easy final, I think, against Juan Carlos Aguilar and Taha Badi. Um, the, the pairing, though, uh, you know, the all-Canadian guys, they actually eliminated the top seeds, Andrew Harris and Christian Harrison. So clearly they weren't all that uh, easy to defeat. And um, yeah, when it comes to the last challenger, so challenger 75 in Toddy, Luciano Darderi won the title. It's actually his maiden challenger. And uh, yeah, speaking of Darderi, I was not aware of the fact that he fell off so much to ATP 250. Uh, that's actually pretty wild. And, you know, he has to miss US, uh, US Open qualies. Uh, but I think he's got a great chance of making it for Melbourne. It just didn't seem to me like his year was all that poor. But, you know, to be honest with you, he had a losing streak in June, May even. But also his draws were awful. 
Like if you just look at his draws, you know, he lost in the first round of his se of seven consecutive events, but the guys he lost to, Lavagno, Bagnis, Nardi, Svrtina, Miller, Bonadio and Marterer, and five of these were challenger round ones. So I think Darderi was also a bit unlucky. He um, almost never lost a set in this in this um, event because he uh, went, um, well, he was serving for the match uh, in the final against Clement Tabur in the second set. He actually had to finish it off in three, but after uh, coming back from 1-4 in down in the first set, he started, like, he was still counter-punching, you know, but he was playing a lot more freely. He was, yeah, he just had a lot more confidence and it, it showed even in a, in a, like, more defensive play style. And I think his ranking right now will actually be a lot more relevant than 250. I think he's a bit too good for that. And um, Clement Tabur, uh, first challenger final, he only had one semi in Merbush last year. But he's had an awesome year on the ITF circuit. He won 325Ks this year, which is a fantastic achievement, obviously. Uh, these events are sometimes, you know, almost as tough as challengers can be to win. And um, yeah, he beat Caruso. Then he crashed Jombor Piroz in the second round in a very weird performance from the Hungarian, but maybe he was injured again. And against Moes Eharkui in the quarterfinals, he saved four match points. So this was a pretty incredible effort. Then beat Fonio. But maybe he just ran out of steam a little bit in the third set against Darderi. Uh, but yeah, he, he has a pretty nice topspin forehand that uh, on, on this um, in these sort of clay conditions, as in Toddy, uh, I think it was very hard for the opponents to just stop being, you know, maneuvered around the court with it. Uh, Darderi certainly struggled with it at some various points of the match. So still a great run for Tabur. Yeah, it could be even a career-changing achievement, you know. He will break the top 300. And uh, yeah, naturally, after winning 325Ks in a season, you kind of expect that at some point you might also get a challenger run out of it. And Giovanni Fonio, as I said, was one of the semi-finalists. Uh, he beat uh, Orlando Luz, uh, Julian, uh, Julian Oclepo and uh, F uh, Felix Gill. So um, not the toughest route, but he came close in the semis against Clement Tabur. And he was also on a bit of a losing streak, I think, um, before before this event. So in general, this was a bit of an um, opportunity when, you know, when the seeds sort of fell, up, fell apart at the beginning, especially Pirosh, who seemed like one of the... Uh, well, who seemed like the big the big favorite to win the title. This event really became the opportunity for these guys to sort of rebuild their rankings. And the same goes for Francesco Maestrelli, who we know last year in the summer, he was looking like one of the hottest Italian prospects. And right now it's just not close to that. Uh, but he managed to beat Nino Serdarosic and Gabriel De Bru in Todi, which was pretty huge. And then maybe if he didn't lose the... Uh, well, tightly contested tiebreaker against Darderi. Maybe he would have had more of a chance in the semis, but this was a very good semi-final match, Darderi-Maestrelli. It was it was a huge battle. Um, you know, the first set just kept going. The, it just continued for, for hours, it seemed. And uh, yeah, if it was free, I think it would have been maybe much of the weak territory because, um, yeah, the, the long rallies in that one were pretty excellent. So um, yeah, in general, I think this was this was really an event where um, guys like Maestrelli, Darderi, Fonio, you know, they all sort of got a chance to repair their rankings, especially yeah, when Pirosh went out, when Idukovic went out, Navone went out early as well. I don't even remember who was the second seed, but I think the second seed must have pulled out. So um, 
so yeah, basically uh, they they really used up their chance, I think, very well. And the final of the uh, doubles, it was actually Fernando Romboli and Marcelo Zorman making the final for the second week in a row after losing in the final in Merbusch. And they beat uh, Roman Andres Buruchaga and Orlando Luz. So with that, we can get to much an upset of the week. Uh, this is actually also, I think, a section that started with, with Jakub already there on the show. So, you know, he, his legacy in a way will be also continued by how the format of the show even looks, right? Because he was responsible for a lot of the ideas that we are using today. So um, just another thing that we can be glad um and we can be thankful for uh, regarding uh, his two and a half years tenure on this uh, on this challenger show. Anyway, uh, when it comes to match of the week, I think uh, the results of the poll are not there yet. But I obviously put out the poll on Twitter when the final in Stanford finished, and uh, Lestien and Sweeney are leading, which I have to agree with. You know. I love this one. Uh, I, I really love this match. Uh, it was a bit of a mess at times. You know, Sweeney definitely could have been cleaner when he was trying to clinch that uh, that win. But the drama, the quality, I think was really there. And uh, I agree with um, the you know the, you guys voting in, in the poll that it should be the winner here. Uh, when it comes to the upset of the week. Let me see what we had. Of course, the FCA of Mahaj, that was pretty huge. As I said, I thought Mahaj was probably going to go really deep. I see that um, Durasovic over Delor has a similar score when it comes to the odds, which is just so wrong, right? I mean, we've talked about it a billion times and Durasovic is just so underrated every single time that, um, yeah, it's just, it's just kind of sad to see that people still undervalue him so much. But it's also not... Um, without um, without a reason, right? He keeps blowing his chances in a lot of ma- close matches with better players. But this time he didn't against the Lord, and it's still nowhere close upset of the week. Definitely not. Tabur over Pirosh, you know, if it wasn't such a weird scoreline, it kind of tells you that something was wrong. And uh, yeah, I think I'm going to just have to go with FCF over Mahaj. Um, at the venue, you know, at the event, no one expected this. Everyone just thought that Mahaj was going to easily progress and was like a lock to make the semis, uh, which obviously didn't happen. And um, yeah, I think that's just what I'm going to go with uh, from Kozerki. Uh, it's actually interesting that I didn't go for a match in terms of uh, match of the week that I saw live. But I could easily do that with Hassan Vesely, and I I also could have done that easily with Durasovic Delor. Um, this was also absolutely fantastic, and this was actually one of the moments when Durasovic stepped up under pressure. You know, he never broke Delor, but he won the match, and in the third set tiebreak, he just played some incredible points and was very very gutsy. Anyway, uh, let's uh, get to the previews now then. We have four Challenger 50s coming up next week. So obviously no top 100 players, even no top 200 players, because yes, this is Grand Slam qualifying week. As far as I know, no one is really skipping it to play a Challenger other than Ricardas Berankis, who would have gotten in. Um, so yeah, let's just let's just look at how this, this is going to go and... Uh, this should still be a very exciting week of Challenger action. Obviously, we like all of these events with uh, with players who are usually maybe uh, playing Challenger qualifying or playing the 25k ITFs. 
And of course, there's also US Open qualifying. Uh, US Open qualifying is the only slam that starts um, its uh, yeah just pre-main draw event on Tuesday. So this always uh, used to, like in 2021, 2002, this used to give us a bit of a headache with Jakub. Right now, theoretically, it's still not, like, like it, it's not that vital for us to have an episode out, right, when it comes to US Open qualifying, because we used to do it as like a back and forth and, you know, picking the qualifiers. But I'm actually going to have this episode, I think, uh, out for you, because last year we did this, like, um, yeah, we just uploaded the Challenger episode as usual on Sunday, and then on Monday uh, we um, had this, um, you know, addendum to it with just Grand Slam qualifying predictions, and I think I'm just going to do that, you know, for you myself as well, so um, probably get ready for, like, around Monday, Tuesday, a bit of, um, I don't know, 20, 30 minute episode, just me chatting about the qualifying and who I picked and why. Also, these peaks, as usual, uh, they will be on my Twitter, but um, I like to, as, as you guys know, you know, Grandstand qualifying, I can just talk about forever. So uh, I like to just go maybe a bit more into details regarding why I think that some of these guys uh, will be making it and why I think some of these guys will not be making it. But anyway, as I said, four Challenger 50s, where do we actually start? Probably let's let's just head to Europe first. We've got Prague and Augsburg. I'm going to go with Prague. And in Prague, the first seed is Lukas Neumeier, uh, who right now would have the ranking for Grand Slam qualifying, but obviously the, the list is made for four weeks before the start of the main draw, three, start, three weeks before the start of the qualifying. He can have a very interesting second round matchup with Hinek Barton, unless the qualifiers, uh, you know, provide some changes here. Hinek Barton was uh, in Poland this week, and Hinek Barton managed to make the final at the 25k in Bielsko-Biała, where he lost to Juan Bautista Torres. Um, then uh, Hinek Barton was also in Łódź, where I don't think I eventually saw him. I was only there for like three hours at another 25k two weeks ago. Uh, both times he actually played Michał Mikua in the first round, which is pretty crazy. And one time he lost a set and the other he barely lost games. Anyway, um, also in this section there's the seventh seed Matthias Borg playing Henry Laksonen. That's pretty interesting, you know, maybe Laksonen finally gets something going at the Challenger 50. I don't know. Calvin Emery, Toby, Alex Kodat, that's a match I would love to see. Another match that I think is very worth watching is third seed Luciano Darderi playing Maxine Janvier. Um, Janvier also coming off at the quarterfinals in Kozerki. I didn't really talk about him, but um, yeah, he was um, he had some great moments. Obviously a fantastic shot maker, right? But um, he is kind of like, yeah, just brainless in, in what he does on the court. I think he, he mostly just blasts the ball and doesn't really care. And you know, there are five matches a year when this works out extremely well for him, but also tens where it doesn't. Anyway, one of them will play David Horda Sanchez. Jonas Foretek is here with the wild card, although, you know, with his most recent showings, I don't know how he's gonna look. He's gonna play Javier Barranco Cosano, and then Valentin Royer will play fifth seed Joao Souza. Very interesting appearance, first since that Porto final for the Portuguese. Uh, Henry Squires, the sixth seed, playing a qualifier, and then maybe Justino, Gianu. There's uh, this. Uh, this is a cracker as well. Lukas Rossol against Rudolf Molecker, You know, <laughs> two of the um, I would say most mercurial guys. Although of course recently Molecker uh, is uh, doing 
a lot more like you know has just more solid results and Rosol is, is definitely struggling he was also at that 25k in um Bielsko Biała in, po- in Poland, but he lost, I think, to Dominik Paty in the second round. Uh, one of them will play Gengel or Shazal. There's also AFC Valentin Vashro. Uh, he just had another great um, 25k result, by the way, but he lost today, I think, to uh, Marvin Müller at Ustad in Sweden. Uh, one of them will play Facundo Mena, struggling this year uh, totally, and um, or Carlos Lopez Montagud here with a protected ranking. That's interesting too. And this is a pretty strong section too. Francesco Maestrelli playing Matis Erhardt, and then one of them will play Andrew Paulson or a wild or a qualifier. Sorry. Um, when it comes to the qualifying, do we have any guys that could actually be dangerous here? Uh, I don't know. It has already finished. Michal Vbenski, Gabriel De Bru probably is a good pick, right? Federico Agustin Gomez has had a, ni- a few nice runs recently, and Pavel Chaj beat Daniel Merida Aguilar today. So. <laughs> I would love to see him in this draw here. You know, he, he plays Alexander Donsky tomorrow. Uh, I don't think he really has a shot at a lucky loser spot, so he would need to win this. Like, he would need to win this to qualify. And then, I don't know, maybe maybe if he plays someone like Squire, you know, with his foot speed, maybe if he plays a pusher like Horda Sanchez. Uh, I don't think he would beat Henek Barton. I don't think he would beat Lukas Neumeier. Uh, yeah, the, the qualifier spots are actually all pretty tough. But I would love to see Chash in this in this draw, as as you guys probably know, he is you know my favorite player, um, at least my favorite player from Poland. So uh, hopefully another win tomorrow. But anyway, from the qualies, I'm not gonna be picking anyone. Oh, and uh, yeah, I have to talk about this. Obviously, we had this predictions competition with Jakub, where we were um, counting how many points both of us got for uh, correctly predicting the tournament winner at the beginning of the week. I think we are actually ending it tied, which you know maybe is a is a nice closer to this to this game. Uh, but even though it's not a game anymore, like I don't have a rival, right? I, I'm still going to try to pick um, the most likely winners and we're gonna just review my picks at the end of the week and obviously review the event as well. Um, so I think this is this is the way we can continue it. And um, I think in the doubles there's uh, Milos Karol, who, um, I, as I said, I think... You know, we can definitely talk more about the Slovak guys. Uh, Milos Karol, I've watched him recently in Wuj, actually, at the 25k, and he made the final there, I think, with Shimon Kelan. And, um, yeah, he just has such a such a huge serve and big game that I think, even if he doesn't make it in singles, he should be a threat at this challenger level in, in doubles. Excited to see if uh, he and Iri Barnat, the Czech guy, can uh, beat Borg Royer. That doesn't seem like that tough a uh, draw in uh, doubles, right? Um, yeah, but otherwise, let's think about who can win this tournament. Prague probably doesn't play all that fast, like it's probably just a regular clay court, right? Uh, Maestrelli, Erhard Paulson, this is a very strong section. I don't want to trust Vashro again. Uh, he also had a long week, right? Moleker, maybe. You know, Rossol, I think I think Moleker really should be beating Lukas Rossol at this point. Moleker has probably gotten him to, uh, himself to a point where he should be winning these matches. But also in Merbush recently, he lost to Ergi Kirkin, right? So, who knows, actually. Um, Darderi Jonvier, that's a fantastic matchup. I I don't really trust Neumeyer that much, especially against Barton in the second round. So uh, my pick is actually Joao Souza here. 
Joao Souza, as we know, returned from a two-month break in Porto. He looked ex extremely good. I don't know if he continues that on clay. That's one thing. I don't know if he continues that not at home. But, you know, if he plays like he did in Porto, he has a very, very fine chance of winning this event, I think. Uh, let's get to Augsburg, which is the second uh, challenger in Europe. Hernan Casanova is the first seed, but he has a tough opener already with Lukas Gerg and then potentially Max Hans Reberg or Moes Ehargui. There's also Nicolas Sanchez Izquierdo in this uh, in this draw. Marvin Miller, whom I already mentioned, in this quarter, sorry. Marvin Miller, whom I already mentioned, uh, as the 25k Ishtad winner. Elmar Ejupovic could play one of these guys in the second round. Steven Diaz is the fourth seed. Uh, maybe can play Roca Bataya in the second round. Serdarusic Ginard, that's a cracker too. Uh, right away as well. Uh, they were both 0 and 7 at the beginning of the year when I watched them in Sekesh Fehervar and they actually met in the second round there and they were also the uh, doubles partners for that week so um, yeah I, they, they must know each other pretty well by this point. Uh, Santiago Rodriguez Taverna, 6th seed, plays Luis Vessels. There's also Billy Harris coming over from the States I think where he, where he or from Canada but you know North America. Roman Andres Buruchaga against Carlos Taberner. That's a very good opening round already. Then Fonio or Crawford for them. Timo Stoder, seventh seed, and Max Hokes is his rival. And uh, also Andres Martin here. That's pretty wild, right? So that's the Georgia Tech guy that um, they keep. Um, well, basically they they keep giving him wild cards in the in Atlanta, right? That's that's how we know him. He beat Kokinakis last year. And he actually is really he's getting really good results on the pro circuit. Obviously, he is um, he is part of this draw because of the college uh, accelerator program, which we mentioned a few times earlier this year. And Gilles Arnaud Bailey will play uh, Mar uh, will play Marco Topo, uh, who has a wild card here in the first round. That's also a pretty exciting one between two talented youngsters. And Benjamin Hassan is the second seed coming over from Kozerki. I don't know if he actually will be, you know, that dangerous here, switching surfaces. I don't know, but we'll see. Let's see it uh, in the into the qualifying because I think there could be a few interesting names in there uh, just from based, uh, you know, what I saw earlier today. Nicola Kuhn, uh, he beat Sebastian Gima pretty easily. There's also, I'm, I'm already looking at like who uh, made it through. Mats Moraink won a round. That must be like his first in a while, right? Uh, let me let me actually check when Mats Moraink last played. Well, yeah, uh, he last played in June. Uh, then only played a few Bundesliga matches, but you know, from the results, it looked like he was going well. Kuzmanov, Meltzer, Gengel, Tabur, he beat all of them. So I don't know, I'll be interested to see how um, Mats Moraink does and whether he actually qualifies here. Um, Tristan Lamazin as well with the sort of ITF, ITF season that he's had maybe he will be a threat um, Daniel Masur but yeah Nicola Kuhn is an interesting name obviously as usual he will play let me check Negritu actually tomorrow that that should be fairly easy right he should be making the, the main draw so I think you guys might already know what's coming here but anyway, uh, in the doubles also, we have this very interesting pairing of Habib Hassan, so the two Lebanese Davis Cup players 
I'm excited to see how they do. However, they are playing Franzen and Jebens in the opening round. So, yeah, that's going to be pretty rough, probably. Uh, not not much of interest, I think, otherwise. Uh, pretty much the, your usual stuff with, uh, yeah, Raya, Pura Fraja, Ramkumar Ramanathan, and Lutarevich Manafov and the likes. Uh, but yeah, when it comes to the, the draw, I think it's very even. Uh, Serdarusic Ginard is just such a tough opening round. You know, both guys are doing so much better right now than they were at the beginning of the season. Most, especially Ginard, I think. Um, yeah, the first section just makes me very anxious. You know, Casanova playing Gerg. That's like a 50-50 match to me. I think the bookies might not agree, but but uh, I, I am pretty high on Lucas Gerg. Oh, actually, for the bookies, it's also a 50-50 match, so... Uh, apparently, I'm not the only one who's high on Lucas Gerg at the moment. Uh, who else? Yeah, Rodriguez Taverna, Buruchaga, they just haven't been in, in such form and also don't have games that I think must, um, you know, make them instant picks here. Timo Stoder playing Max Hokes in the first round. Stoder also played that 25k in Wuchen, he lost instantly. Yeah, I, I, everything tells me to just go for Nikola Kuhn again. I picked him recently in Merbush. He lost in the first round to Jan Hoinski. But, you know, I knew that this was a problem round. But then Hoinski won the title. So I think Kuhn might actually be a fine candidate here. So yeah, I'm picking Nikola Kuhn to win in Augsburg from the qualifying draw. Um, I know Jakub would enjoy this, this bold pick. And... Um, who knows, maybe he would have gone for him himself. Uh, I know he was considering Kuhn in Merbush, and I don't think the, the loss against Hoinski would have um, really changed his mind all that much regarding Kuhn's prospects, if he's ever healthy, right? And uh, yeah, let's move on to the other continents. We have Lima and Zhuhai this week. In Lima, Juan Pablo Fikovic is the first... Um, is the first seed. Well, let me, let me quickly remind myself if Lima is on altitude, but I not really sure right well actually it's yeah it depends where you are but basically speaking not really uh it, it doesn't seem like this event will be at, at, at altitude uh, then uh, fikovic will play thomas fariat or maybe then later blaze bicknell um in that very same section also daniel dutra da silva and then this is an interesting one between two youngsters adolfo daniel vallejo and pedro boscardin diaz Murkel Delian, fourth seed, plays Mateus Alves. Gonzalo Lama, sixth seed, plays Juan Panta in this in this section. Lots of qualifiers there too. And Otegi. Uh, Gustavo Haide plays Ignacio Monzon. Then Guillen Meza or Valerio Aboyan. I don't see Leonardo Aboyan in this draw, so I guess just Valerio. And uh, Joao Lucas Reis da Silva. Uh, the third seed plays Wilson Leite and then Arklon Huertas del Pino or Bruno Kuzuhara. The other Huertas del Pino brother is also there, but he actually plays Renzo Olivo, the second seed in the first round. So we'll see how that go goes. Oh, Leonardo Aboyan is here. I just didn't notice him. And uh, he will play Andres Andrade. The eighth seed is Gonzalo Bueno. I could use a good run from Gonzalo Bueno, you know. He has been pretty... Um, I don't want to say dire, but uh, there's definitely... Um, well, the track of progress of Gonzalo Bueno has not been as sharp as I thought it would be. However, you know, at the ITF level, he is actually doing fine. It's just mostly when he starts playing challengers when, uh, yeah, he just doesn't do all that well. But last week, he was apparently in the semifinals of uh, 25k, is it? Where Juan Pablo Fikovic is about to play the final in Trujillo in Peru against Gustavo Haida. So, as you can see, uh, we have some informed players in here.
And um, when it comes to the qualifying, I think this has like barely started when I'm recording this. Well, not barely. We have a, we have two winners already in the Scotta and Oyos Franco. Uh, but anyway, looking at the draw, you know, Sakamoto maybe could be dangerous. I could see that. Uh, Sitsubervi, you know, back in the day, he used to be pretty great. Ignacio Buse. Uh, he used to play quite well in these Peruvian challengers too, right? I mean, obviously he was a fantastic junior as well. And along with Bueno, maybe in in a few years, they're going to be um, a great Davis Cup team for Peru. Like it, it is possible, right? And um, well, let's let's see if that if that actually uh, pans out. Let's uh, see now if um, if in the doubles there's something interesting. Obviously, we'll have the Huertas del Pino brothers, and they're actually the top the top seeds. So that kind of tells you that the draw is probably not that strong. Boscardin Diaz and Reis da Silva are the second ones. Yeah, uh, a few collegians in here as well. Uh, but yeah, not not the not the strongest doubles draw. Whereas the Pino brothers actually have a, a buy in the opening round as well, so it's not full. And when it comes to picking the winner out of this, uh, yeah, it's not gonna be easy. I see that Bueno did pretty well at an ITF last week, and I kind of like his draw. You know, Renzo Olivo, like two years ago, he would have I think eaten them all of these players alive here. But yeah, this year has been absolutely awful from him. Uh, Gustavo Haide, I don't, I'm not sure I can really pick him to win a challenger. I would love to pick Reis da Silva, you know, he had that fantastic final against Puccinelli da Almeida, but he's so inconsistent, he is also like a straight up ball basher most of the time. Uh, because Fikovic is in that 25k final, I don't think I want to pick him to win the title, but he's probably the most uh, reliable pick. Uh, Murkel Delian, Mateusz Alves. Maybe this is actually tricky for for the uh, lesser Delian, uh, if I want, if I can call him that. So yeah, I think I'm gonna go with João Lucas Reis da Silva, but it's not a vote of confidence. Uh, I think uh, this draw looks very even, and uh, we can see some wild stuff. I feel like generally, whenever we have this weaker South American challenger, like without the you know the strong top seeds, um, yeah, sometimes just all pandemonium is released, like when João Dominguez won in Salvador de Bahia last year, right? And he had an awful season. And um, yeah, sometimes sometimes weird stuff happens. And maybe maybe João Lucas Reis da Silva winning a challenger title would not be that weird, actually. So anyway, uh, and the last event, Zhuhai. And this is interesting because we have to talk about this. This is the first challenger in China since the pandemic. And we are actually entering a four-week challenger well, Chinese challenger swing in Zhuhai, Zhangjiagang, Shanghai, and Guangzhou. Uh, very exciting, I think, um, in order to like just see a lot of the Chinese guys that we were missing out on in the past few years, like Yan Bai, Zhali, you know, the, um, well, the, the former greats, the veterans, but maybe there's also going to be some uh, Chinese prospects that we weren't really familiar of. I don't know if that's gonna happen. Yeah, maybe maybe someone like Han Wen Li even, you know, in the qualifying, he's just 20 after all. Uh yeah, let's let let's see what this will what this will bring to us. And Ricardas Berankis is the top seed. He's gonna play Sergei Fomin in the first round. Then one of them can face Sakularidis. Both Berankis and Sakularidis were actually in Kozerki until like Friday or Thursday. Sakularidis I think maybe even later than Berankis. So they're gonna have a pretty short turnaround for Zhuhai, to be honest with you. Uh, then we have uh, Filip Sekulic in that section as the other seed. Uh, that could be one of the favorites, right, as well. He will play Rigaletevo, a very competent I Chinese ITF player. 
and then Zhui or Ajit Rai. There's uh, Luke Savi with the, you know, Luke Savi is the fourth seed here is pretty wild, but you know, this is obviously isn't the strongest entry list. Colin Senkler and Leo Borg could be his second round opponents. Filip Pelivo, so there's a Polish accent here as well. He is playing Artur Weber uh, from uh, France in the first round. I think this choice to go to all these Chinese events for Pelivo is really good. Um, I think if he ever is to make it back to the challenger level, I think it's going to be through yeah events like this, like a little more exotic opportunities, right? And he can play Takahashi or Zgirovsky in the second round. Then we also have in the bottom a very interesting opening round between Nam Hoangli and Evgeny Karlovsky. Ivan Zhu is here, so clearly another player who like wants the points uh, here, and um, I think it's a smart call. James McCabe is the third seed. He could play Jali with a wild card in the second round, but there's also a lot of qualifiers in there. Dominic Palan, the fifth seed, you know, the guy with the great serve, uh, playing Strombachs or Mutao in the second round. So there could be some very thrilling for second round matches here, like Palan, Strombachs. Rubin Statham and uh, Fajing Soon are another pretty exciting first round match. And Jason Jung is the second seed, and he's going to play one of these veterans that I mentioned, like uh, Ian Bai. And since, uh, since of course, uh, Chinese time, you know, the Chinese time zone is pretty tough for us, but that also means that we've already had the first qualifying round. We, in a way, have also had the second qualifying round. A few of these matches were already hosted today because the qualifying draw was not full at all. Um, but can someone redo a whole lot here? Maybe Han Van Nee. Yeah, he has already qualified. Mikhail, Mikhail Haliak, he's already qualified. Also another uh, Belarusian, I think, Alexander Lyonenka. Um, yeah, it's always interesting to see like who of the European players takes the trip to to China, and I think most of them are actually very smart about going here and uh, trying to look for the points. Toshihide Matsui, Kaito Wesugi, top seeds. Maybe they get another challenger title. But Luke Savi is also playing this draw with uh, Ajit Rai. Perivo is also in the doubles. Interestingly, he plays with Luca Castelnuovo. Uh, maybe the pairing of Colin Sinclair and Rubin Statham can also be pretty good. Uh, I think another, by the way, sort of returning player is Cheng Peng Xie. Was he was he playing recently? Actually, I think maybe maybe you haven't seen him in a while, right? He was um, well, he won three junior slams in doubles and was was an absolutely fantastic junior back in the day. Um, so, so yeah, I'm, I'm pretty excited to see if what he's going to do here. I have not seen his name in draws, honestly, in, in a really long while. He is 31 right now from Taipei. In 2022, apparently, he played one ITF event in Egypt in the and he made the quarterfinals. So, yeah, it, it's been a while for sure for him. And in the singles, did he, did he play something in, like, most recent memory? I don't really think so, right? Because today he, he played actually against Carlo Velonis and only won two games. But um, but yeah, I, I can. The ATP website is, is actually misfiring for me uh, and it even won't show me his singles activity. I think there, there used to be singles activity for him. Yeah, 2022, apparently he played a few ITF matches, but. Yeah, they weren't uh, they weren't anything of note, and in general, in singles, he never really played all that much. Um, in two thousand one, he played twenty nine matches, and that was that was the most he ever did. But 
obviously he used to be a top 100 doubles player so uh, and a great junior although also mostly in doubles anyway Zhuhai, uh, who am I picking to win this? Uh, Berankis, you know, this theoretically should be a fantastic chance for Berankis, this four-week swing in China, you know, some weaker hardcore challengers. It sounds like a phenomenal opportunity for Berankis. However, I do have to say that I am not too confident in him. <laughs> you know, I, I saw him in Kozerki now, and the, the way he lost to Charlie Broom... I don't know if, if he's ready really to, to, to be winning five matches in a row. Sakunic in the quarters, that's someone who could actually beat him. Um, there's also, um, well, th this section with Savi, Pelivo, Sinclair, Borg. Borg, by the way, who also won, uh, was it 25k and or 15k? I have to check so that I don't... Yeah, 25k Jakarta in Indonesia. So this, this also looks pretty strong. In general, this draw has a lot of pretty good names like it probably doesn't have the depth but it actually has a fair few good names um at this challenger 50 level so i don't know who am i going with james mccabe nah jason junk has been doing a bit better you know what i think i'm just gonna go with philip sekulic um i know he maybe hasn't really had the consistency uh, again like week in week out but he has recently made progress, it seems, especially, of course, with the final in Granby. And he's a pretty exciting player. So I, th I think if he gets to face Berankis, he could easily beat him. Well, not easily, but, you know, he could beat him. I, I could imagine him doing that. So, yeah, that's what I'm going to go with. Um, Filip Sekulic. And uh, this is actually going to be it for today. So I wanted to thank you guys for sticking around with me for the 90 minutes. Yeah, uh, no way for me not to mention Jakub again here, and, and this was obviously a weird episode, and I think Jakub will be um, mentioned a lot on this show, actually, you know, whenever I will be, like, going back to something that m me and him talked about uh, regarding one of the players or, you know, one of the events, or especially when the Bratislava Challenger comes in, uh, but, yeah... Uh, we we have to live with um, the loss, right? And um, yeah, we'll keep the we'll keep the show going. Hopefully, um, hopefully, I'll do fine as a as a solo host for now. And uh, I'll see you guys in a week uh, when I'll be talking about the events of Zhuhai, Lima, Augsburg, and Prague. And honestly, I mean, it's it's the small things, but it it even sucks, you know, not to have the buy that Jakub always did at the end, or uh, it even sucks, like, when, you know, not to hear him laugh when I was trying to come up with these names, right, when we ha we were recording for, like, 80, 90 minutes, and then I my brain was fried, and I couldn't even remember the, the names of the events that we previewed, and, um, yeah, it, it just hurts um, to even, like, not have that, you know, to these, these little details, but... Um, it, it's it's gonna get more normal it's gonna we're gonna get used to this uh which you know it's it's sad but that's that's kind of how life works and and uh yeah let's let's just as i said earlier keep him in our keep him in our thoughts and uh thank you guys again for listening and i'll, I'll see you next time